2: Today I'm in the most beautiful city. For me, it is most beautiful city in Australia. It's sunny today after days of the heavy bombardment of the rain and the storms. Sydney.
0: Yeah, yeah. See, I think this year or well, the summer that we've just had it's just finished. I think New Zealand's had the Australian summer because we've had a brilliant summer and where you've had a lot of rain, although you've needed some rain, some water, but not as much as you've got. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's been huge.
2: It is that I was, you know, tempted to go into the bookstore to purchase the Noah Ark for Dummies, honestly, <laughs> because I never saw so much trade in my life. And for the listeners, you know, I don't take too much time. You know, I've been in England several times and Ireland and Scotland. I had a feeling that I was waking up in the middle of the Scotland you know, with the song Crying a River, because it was very depressing, but we survived. We have a nice sunny day today in the city.
0: Did you find the book, How to Build a Noah's Ark for Dummies?
2: No, but I certainly you know, want to make the one because for the next events coming across. Because look, you know, when I come to Australia in 98 in November, I fall in love with that city immediately, Dennis. And I realized after several days, you know, a little bit about culture, people, behavior, and I understood that people, they don't understand how lucky they are in this country, including New Zealand, from the environment I'm coming from, you know, sunny and, you know, beautiful weather. It's like people complain of winter here, like going in Europe when it's a winter, minus 20 degrees, and then you can see the winter, like, you know, but yeah, like look, Sydney is the most beautiful city for me. And that's where I'm currently living and working, and running my business.
0: I think it's actually a very good point you bring up there too, though. I think for a lot of our listeners, they may be in situations in their life and their business and the roles that they do as leaders, whereby they might be whinging or complaining about things. And sometimes we just need to step back and take stock of where we are and understand what we've got in our hands and maybe be a little bit grateful as well. Don't get me wrong, there will be people yes. in some situations that do need to change, but it's pretty interesting how we see that today. And and how people need to sort of be a little bit grateful for everything they've got. That's correct, I agree
2: with you, absolutely.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. Now, we've given you, the, the listeners, a little bit of a brief background about you. Is Tell us a little bit more about the investigative questioning or interrogation work that you do.
2: My business, is Intelligence, has been formed in 2010, and it was a product of desire, dreaming, imagination. I want to have my own business. But then become necessity, as you know, 2009, uh, was GFC, you know, world around me collapsed. So that was a unique opportunity. If I don't do now, I'm never going to do it. And uh, I built the three pillars of on my, on my business. Those three pillars starts with letter F. F number one, it's a fear. Fear of losing money, fear of losing reputation. Second F, it's fight. We fight for our clients against the fraud, criminal activity fraudulent claims and there is a freedom, freedom that our clients can enjoy, they work without interruptions and without taking extra time or spending more money on investigative internal matters or external matters. And I always come back to this point, Dennis. You know that feeling in your life when someone has taken advantage of you and that's where we are stepping to sort out this issue. So the business is built around factual investigations, which we're providing is a core of the business to the insurance companies, banking sector, corporations as well, regardless of the internal theft, internal, te- internal fraud, external theft, fraud, espionage, where I'm stepping aside. Then we have a surveillance investigation and that's called global. You know, most mm-hmm. of the cases doesn't start only in Australia and Finish in Australia, sometimes they go beyond the borders. And as you know, the COVID was one of the events, 100 years, I would say, where the surveillance was being basically interrupted, that investigation, because of the limitations of the the moments. Then we have the forensic investigation, that the forensic accounting and forensic psychology, forensic accounting, it is when we assist the clients to our employees here in the office. To go through the potential fraud by their business partners or their employees or their accountants. And I'm in hindsight, of that's one forensics, it's forensic uh, psychology. I'm employing the very I'm very grateful that I have that person, Dr. Debbie Colors. She's one of the very few people with PhD in psychological profiling, geographical psychological profiling, and determining criminal activities by geographical location. So this is the, the core of our business.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's fascinating stuff that you're sharing okay. there. Must yeah. be really interesting work to do.
2: It is because information, it's the most valuable commodity in business. We always acquiring informations, either visually, verbally, orally, you know, name it. All. Sometimes we're being provided information and we don't believe their validity or their reliability. So that's where we're stepping in. So information is the our business. Information is management.
0: So if one of our listeners right now is listening to something and they can see that there's probably some fraud happening, whether it's internally or from external sources or something like that happening. In other words, in your words, somebody taking advantage of them. What should they be doing right now? What's probably one thing or two things they should be thinking about before and engaging someone like yourself. First
2: of all, they need to understand it's gonna happen. It's not when or how, but it will happen. Every business, it becomes the victim. You know, we can put all policy procedures in place, and we can have the leadership, is that in charge? Leadership must understand the weaknesses and potential threats. Uh, threats are rising with. On hourly rate because there's a new methods of the modus operandi of the fraudsters, so they need to think how to investigate this matter and that investigation to become the tool to implement the policy procedures. Because the investigation when it ends and you find the perpetrator, you uh, you realize that you can confirm some type of fraudulent activity or criminal activity. Implement your policy procedures. How this investigation gonna benefit to the, my company? because they're going to learn the lesson from this investigation. An investigation clearly outlines modus operandi of the fraudster.
0: Mm.
2: And That gives you an indication how to change some policy procedures or employments or, you know, protecting the data, protecting information, money and so on. So that's the first thing, how to utilize this investigation or potential uh, fraud to benefit on a longer run.
0: Good point. Okay. You go, listeners. You've heard that already, so that's good. There's Some good tips there. Now, Mario, how did you get into leadership?
2: I never envisaged to gonna be the leader because I was growing up in communism and I was being mastered to become the officer of the Yugoslav People Army. So there's no leadership in this, you know. It's a, it's a hardcore communist type of army, and you're listening the Politburo and the communist elite, and that's what the decision making is happening. What did it change? It's 1991. The Civil War started in ex-Yugoslavia, we fought for the democracy. To translate democracy for me was a coke and rock and roll and McDonald's. I didn't even know what a democracy means because that word was there being used in communism. <laughs> because communism is the best. So what it happened after a few weeks in the war, like I was being assigned several people to I lead in combat. And I was almost 19 years old, not even 19 years old. And how did I lend a lot leadership? leadership it is not something as a title which entitles you to you show other people you know me how great you are if you don't lead by example you're not a leader that's what I learned and for me it was always being demanded that I need to when I lead my troops which they grow substantially you know with the ease of the, my service and as well, every type of job in military because the first started in the war and several years later I was in security intelligence services and then I was being transferred into diplomatic intelligence. So the leadership is not that I chose leadership, they chose me. And when I asked, why do you choose me? They told me people like you. And I said like, okay, so that's a prerequisite. They said no, but people like you the way how you're protecting them. So I was very conscious that my actions and my Whatever I demand from everybody behind me or around me or under me, whatever you wanna call this, I need to lead by my example. And there was a no moment in my life that I didn't wanna relinquish leadership. That is honestly, because it's a high responsibility. And the one thing what I learned on these practical courses of leadership, where you are being taught, you know, this all psychological values of the leadership and how to team up with the people, and everything else that I come in a position where I need to know 400 people individually, how they feel. And it looks good on a paper, but when I realized that I become everybody, the beacon in darkness, that whatever I say, they will do it. Now, when you transfer this into a corporate world, it was a different because in corporate world, the leadership, it being valued differently. And as well, the loss has been measured in dollar sign rather than in lives. And so leadership is not something I chose. They chose me because of the, my determination to protect those who follow me. That was the number one. And equally to reach objectives and key objectives being put in front of me along with others, other officers and so on. And, you know, I had uh, some heated arguments in my life with the people who believe the leaders uh, by explaining and you know, rationalizing things, why things should not be done because it's going to cause the more damage than the benefits. And that's the way how I learn as well from elder and the people behind me. So when you put people who follow you and people you follow, you find the golden middle, right? It's it's a golden rule. You find the middle ground and then you become the
0: proper leader. Heather, a massive welcome to you.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be here.
0: It's great to have a, another podcaster on the show with me as well. I think it's really cool. I tend to uh, have a lot of leaders around the world and various aspects of business, but having another podcaster is always a pleasure to have them with me because they understand this whole thing, how it works, uh, which is pretty cool. I understand that you have another podcast. Tell us a little bit more about that as well.
1: Yeah, so my business is all about, as you said, podcast advertising. And so, gosh, it's been a few years now I started the podcast advertising playbook and on that show. I talk nothing except for just about podcast advertising, which, you know, is super fun for for those of us in the industry to listen and kind of geek out on. But it's been a lot of fun for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, good. And whereabouts in the world are you today?
1: So I am in Sarasota, Florida.
0: Mm, Florida, nice. So you're in spring now, right? You're going into that nice period of time and yep.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I moved to Florida about a year ago, so I'm relatively new to it. But yes, it is definitely spring and we haven't got hot and humid yet. We're just in this lovely kind of 75 to 80 degree days. So I'm, I'm enjoying it for sure.
0: Awesome. And when Heather is not doing podcasting or the advertising side of things, what do you tend to do like interests and hobbies outside of that?
1: I love to walk. So for my 40th birthday, I walked 40 miles oh. and I could just walk all day. I listened to, of course, podcasts and lots of audio books, but that's one of my favorite things to do.
0: Awesome. 40 miles. and Wow. That would have been really good. Did the, yeah, it was fun. Did the family and friends go with you or was it just you?
1: Yeah, no, it was great. So I invited um, my friends to come along. And so I had different friends that joined me for different portions. I had one friend that did the whole thing with me, which was really neat, but wow. it, was, it was kind of a, a fun milestone.
0: Excellent. Well, we're talking about leadership is changing here. How did you get into leadership?
1: So, I've got into leadership as an entrepreneur. I started my career actually in retail sales, and I was a retail store manager for a little while when I was really young. and then I got into ad sales. And I did that for many, many years. But gosh, I was doing the math before I got on this show with you, and I've been a business owner now for seventeen years. And as a business owner, I think you're in a really unique position because, Most business owners don't know a ton about leadership, and it certainly has taken me many years and reading lots of books and going to different courses and and seminars and listening to podcasts and working with coaches to help improve my leadership skills. But I really feel that being in an entrepreneurial role and having a team is what has allowed me to scale up and step up my leadership skills.
0: Yeah, it's quite interesting how a lot of us being entrepreneurs, we are the person, right? It's us at first, uh, unless you buy another business, which has already got people, but we tend to be just us. And then next time we're having to try and lead ourselves and then we're having to then bring a team on board and start to think about other people as well. And that whole transition is really interesting. How did you find the transition between, say, yourself and if you brought others on board? How was that transition for you?
1: Well, originally, I had business partners. So in my first venture, I had business partners. And I've always kind of gravitated to the natural leadership role. So even in that company, I was the CEO of that organization. And I managed all of our staff. And I made some really bad mistakes, you know, when I first started, I think back on some of the things I did and I was like, gosh, what was I thinking? So it definitely was a rocky start for sure. And I also have found that there is a big difference between leading a person or having an independent contractor and then having an employee and having one employee is very different than having five employees or 10 employees. So there are different levels, I think, of growth that's appropriate as you grow with a team. And really, it's about figuring out how you can structure what each of those people are doing. And then I think most importantly and most difficult is what exactly is your role as a leader when you are in the business of doing? You know, of course, there's the famous E-Myth book, which all entrepreneurs you know, should read if they haven't. And I know most have, but when you're doing your business, it's very easy. You know, I can tell you, I could talk to you all day long about how to sell advertising, right? Like that's what I knew how to do, but knowing how to become a leader and even just knowing what are your tasks as a leader on a day-to-day basis, there's a big transition that happens there. So you can stop doing and start leading.
0: Yeah. Awesome. I love that. And what exactly is your role as a leader? This is, that's a very good question to actually ask yourselves, depending whatever you're doing, what is your role and uh, what are you responsible for? And what are others responsible for too? Because if you know what your swim lane is, as we call it a lot of times and understand what you're doing, then you can actually do things and, and make sure that you're staying in that lane and not crossing to other areas or them then crossing to your area too because I think yeah, the, a lot of times what happens is that becomes very confusing for people and it's very important for us to be clear on who's doing what <laughs> now a lot of people whether they're being entrepreneurs and large corporates whatever that we get influenced by various leaders in our lives and now this person can be alive or from history Who is your favorite leader and why
1: Sarah Blakely is my favorite leader. So Sarah Blakely is the founder of Spanx, which are the shapewear, kind of the original shapewear for women. And the reason that I really like Sarah is because she has been a very authentic leader. So first she founded a huge, very, very profitable organization, and she started it out of her house And so she started with very humble beginnings, and then she was able to build her company up to the point where in October of 2021, she sold the majority share of her organization. And I think it was over, I think it was like 1.2 billion is what she sold it for, which was obviously a huge amount. But part of what I really respect about her is her authenticity. And, you know, just even watching her on her Instagram page with like her four kids, like her kids will often look like she hasn't like bathed them or groomed them in, you know, months and years. And, you know, here she is like super successful and she's just really willing to be honest. The other thing that I just really respect about her is her ability to nurture her staff and the people that help her get where she is. So when she sold the company, she gave her employees each $10,000 and two plane tickets, round trip plane tickets to anywhere in the world. and. You know, I just thought that that was such a neat testament to her, you know, desire to help give back to people who had really helped make her who she was. And so for those really reasons, I really admire her.
0: Awesome. Oh, really good. And if you were to sit on a park bench with Sarah, having a cup of coffee together, what would be one question you would ask her?
1: So I would ask her if she felt like there was a turning point between when her business was small and when she was able to scale it you know, to be transparent, while my business currently is very successful and doing more than most female entrepreneur businesses do in terms of revenue. I'm very proud of that. I still feel that there is a big gap between smaller kind of more mom and pop businesses to larger corporations and making that transition is really difficult. Like we were talking about going from you know, just one employee to several employees, or as you grow, there are different challenges that you face. And I would love to talk to her about how she was able to navigate
0: that. Great. Now, congratulations to you on your what you're talking about your revenue and, and and going really well in that. What drives you in your business?
1: It drives me to be constantly learning and growing. I really believe that I'm not the type of person who wants to sit still. I always want to be pushing myself to do something that's just outside of my kind of my comfort zone and to really give myself that challenge to see where I can go. And I know that I can accomplish a lot, but oftentimes I've had, I had a coach tell me once that I needed to dream a bigger dream. And that's something that I always think about. And for a long time, I had that posted on my wall, like dream a bigger dream. So what is it, you know, oftentimes we play small, especially I think as a female founder, It's easy to feel like we're limited. You know, maybe we have responsibilities to take care of our children or our household and we feel limited in our capacity to grow. So really just trying to push myself beyond what I think I can accomplish.
0: Yeah, it's quite interesting that you say that because I find that, I mean, I've coached a lot of female leaders around the world and there seems to be that common theme sometimes coming through around them actually dreaming bigger or actually thinking bigger. Or actually going out and doing things because when they do, they do way better than anyone else. And it's really amazing to see it. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And I, I just find that I just wish they would do more like that. And I think a lot of it is that to encourage them to do it. But I also find it's actually quite interesting how that same kind of mindset or that same kind of thing happens for people, whether them being male or female, living in a smaller country than others. And they, mm-hmm. they talk about that and they talk about, and I, I hear men and women in New Zealand, as an example, talking about, oh, you know, little old me and little old New Zealand. I'm like, no, that thinking needs to change. Because when Kiwis go out there on into the global stage, we punch above our weight. We do really well. And I think that it's about a mindset about how we think possibly differently to then actually go out there and do things. And I think that's really cool what you've shared there because, yeah, I mean, dream a bigger dream. I think that's that's awesome.